0: If you are purchasing $100,000 worth of product. And if you did that every month, that's $5,000 each month. And a lot of people also do even more volume than that. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 51 of The Daily Churn. Today's episode is going to be all about buying groups. It's uh, an episode I've been meaning to do for a while now, pretty much ever since I discovered a couple address formatting hacks back in episode, I think, 17 about churning iPhones. And more recently, I've sent out a couple deal alerts about how to generate some easy credit card spend using buying groups. So it's something that's been on my mind and it's particularly relevant now that we're approaching the holidays. Because holidays usually are times when retailers will discount a variety of items, and so activity at buying groups usually spikes in the holidays, as well as of course during the various prime days that Amazon now runs I think pretty much every quarter. So today we'll start with some of the basics first, just the full process from start to finish of placing an order, shipping it, receiving payment, and addressing some of the common questions that I get, including from my friends of like, is this whole buying group thing legit? Is it safe? Are there taxes I need to worry about? where do all these iPads and laptops and stuff, where do they even go when I ship them to a buying group? And then we'll dive deeper into one of the buying groups that I use the most because it's both easy for beginners as well as very reliable for folks that are scaling up their spend. And finally, we'll cover some of the things to be aware of when it comes to using buying groups, because while this is a pretty low risk method, there are some pretty common issues and problems that come up, particularly when it comes to various retailers that you use. And so things like orders getting canceled, accounts getting blocked or banned, we'll go into some useful workarounds that you can employ to try and avoid some of these problems. So hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll feel a lot more comfortable with trying out your first buying group if you haven't already, or if you already are using buying groups, potentially scaling up your spend the next time one of these deal alerts comes around. And if you're not familiar with deal alerts, these are just notifications that I send out when I run across a deal that probably wouldn't survive being shared publicly. And sometimes deals that are time sensitive, like the recent buying group deals that were related to Prime Day, because with the Prime Day deal alerts, they were only valid for a couple of days while Amazon had discounted a lot of their items. So if you'd like to get notified the next time one of these deal alerts gets sent out, or if you just want to catch up on some of the previous deal alerts, you can head over to thedailychurnpodcast.com slash deals to sign up. So I thought I'd start this episode with just some of the basics of how a buying group works, like fundamentally what is happening when you join a buying group and you participate. A good way of thinking about it is that essentially you're buying something on behalf of someone else and they're paying you for the thing that you're buying for them. So you know, a real world example might be like your friend wants an iPad and so you go buy the iPad and you give it to them and then they pay you. Or you go out to dinner with friends and you pay the bill and your friends Venmo you later for their portion of the bill. It's fundamentally the same kind of a concept except substitute your friend for a buying group. The buying group is just having you buy some of their stuff for them, and then they pay you. And instead of your friend just asking you to go get that iPad, he's asking thousands of his friends to go get that iPad. Because a buying group acquires literally thousands of these products from thousands of people like us who order these items on their behalf. And what the buying group then does is sell these items in bulk to their customers. And their customers typically are going to be people or businesses based in other countries where the item you're buying is tough to get a hold of. For example, Apple products are a very popular item because not every country has an Apple store and many other foreign countries, Apple products sell for a premium over the price that you can buy them for in the US. So really it's just multiple layers of middlemen with you being the first layer that acquires the product. And the main benefit of using a buying group for someone in that first layer, someone who's buying these products, is that it helps you earn points and miles and cash back on your credit card. So it essentially becomes a really great way of generating credit card spend, which comes in particularly handy if you have a minimum spend that you're trying to meet in order to get a new signup bonus. That's I think one of the most common and lucrative use cases for using a buying group, but even outside of generating spend for a bonus. Just the fact that you're generating spend and earning points, miles, and cash back can be profitable because if you imagine using, let's say, your Amazon Prime credit card, which gives you 5% back on Amazon, if you purchase $1,000 worth of products on Amazon for a buying group, you essentially make $50 in cash back. Now, if you are purchasing $100,000 worth of product and you are making 5% back, you would make $5,000 and if you did that every month, that's $5,000 each month and many people do this and a lot of people also do even more volume than that. The sky is sort of the limit here and it really just comes down to your level of comfort with the level of risk that you may take on and we'll cover some of the risks later on in this episode. But at least from a credit card perspective and let's say you're doing you know a few thousand dollars a month from a buying group, It's a super safe method of generating spend because what you're really doing is you're literally buying physical products from mainstream retailers like Amazon on your credit card. This is exactly the type of spend that credit card companies want you to use your card for. Unlike, you know, when sometimes you buy things like gift cards during like a gift card sale at Kroger and you want to acquire fuel points. And if you're not familiar with Kroger and their fuel point system and the gift card thing, definitely check out episode 47 where I did a deep dive into how to maximize Kroger fuel points. But at least for buying groups, the risk of shutdowns or clawbacks from your credit card company is very low. So that's one of the, the main benefits of going this route for generating spend. And no matter which buying group you end up going with, the flow is typically the same. You know, the process basically goes, you sign up for the group and you wait to get notified of a new deal. And when that deal comes around, you'll go do the deal, like let's say buy a bunch of iPads on Amazon and you pay retail price for those iPads. Then once you have those iPads in your Amazon cart, instead of shipping it to yourself, you ship it to the address that the buying group has specified. Then on Amazon, you pay for your items using whichever credit card you want the spend to be put on. So maybe it's the card that you're meeting spend on, or the card that has a good cashback rate. And once the items are shipped, you send the buying group the tracking number, and once the buying group receives the item, they'll send you back the payment for the items. There are a couple variations to this depending on which buying group you're using, but we'll get into that a little bit later because a more pertinent question that usually comes up uh, when I tell people about buying groups is they're like, what's the cost of doing this? You know, the most common question I think is, do I owe taxes on these products? And the short answer is usually no. So the two main taxes that apply here are sales tax and income tax. With sales tax, most of the time you won't have to pay any because most of these buying groups, their addresses where you're shipping to are located in sales tax-free states like New Hampshire. And so because you're direct shipping your item there, there is no sales tax. The item goes straight from the Amazon warehouse to this warehouse in New Hampshire. The times where you would owe sales tax is if you instead shipped the item to your home first and then you reshipped it to the buying group. And if your home state has sales tax, you would end up paying that sales tax first. So from that perspective, it's always better to ship directly to the buying group. But as we'll cover a little later in this episode, Sometimes shipping to home can be the better option, and when that does happen, you have a couple ways to mitigate it, which is that you could get an exemption from your state so that you don't have to pay sales tax, or you could get an exemption sometimes from the retailer, or at worst, sometimes it even makes sense to eat the cost of the sales tax because it's still worth the points, and occasionally some of these buying groups will pay above retail, so that's enough to offset the cost of the sales tax. But for the most part, most people are not paying sales tax because most people are shipping their items directly to these buying groups that are located in sales tax-free states. Then when it comes to income tax, Most deals that you do from a buying group are at retail. So they pay you the retail price of the product that you're shipping over. Sometimes they're slightly below retail, sometimes slightly above. But for the most part, it averages out to be around at retail because your goal here is not to make a monetary profit from these buying groups. The goal is to earn points and miles and points and miles are not taxable. So income tax is typically based on the amount of profit your business makes, and profit is calculated as the difference between the cost of the goods that you're selling and the price that you get for the goods that you're selling. And so when you're selling them for the same price that you got them for, it ends up being a $0 profit. There are, however, exceptions to this, which I totally didn't realize there were states that do this. So hat tip to Banshee on Discord for pointing this out, which is that Washington state, for example, has a business and occupation tax. And that tax is leveraged on the full revenue amount of your business, not just the profit. So if you bought $100,000 worth of stuff and sold it for $100,000 worth of stuff, In most of the U.S., that is not taxable, but in Washington, they do tax that revenue at $100,000, and the amount they charge on that is a 0.471% tax rate. So it's not a huge tax rate. I mean, for every $1,000, you basically, in Washington, have to pay $4.70. So not a huge deal, but still kind of annoying. I actually got super curious about it and ended up going down like a Reddit rabbit hole researching this. And I guess if you sell less than like $44,000 worth of stuff per year, you can actually get that 0.47% back as a tax credit. So it's not actually that bad because $44,000 worth of stuff, that means you're shipping like three $4,000 a month to a buying group. And I think most of us are either below or around that kind of a volume. So I'll link to that thread, the Reddit thread, in case you do live in Washington. But for the most part, most of us are not impacted by income tax because our states do not charge income tax on revenue, they charge it on profit. So provided you're not making a ton of cash profit directly from your reselling to a buying group, for the most part, you're not going to owe any or at least owe very little income tax. And the other thing with buying groups is that they don't send out 1099s. So it is up to you to report any of that potential cash profit. Another pretty common question, I think, is just how do I go about finding buying groups to join and then which buying group specifically should I join? Because there are a lot of buying groups out there and a lot of them are smaller and some of them are private, like they're invite only or you need a referral from someone in the group. But there's also quite a few public ones and some of them are truly massive. I won't rehash them all here because Miles Ernenburn has a pretty good post that summarizes a few of the recommended buying groups. FlyerTalk also has a pretty in-depth thread on buying groups where they discuss recommendations and share data points. So I'll link to both of those items in the show notes. So that should at least answer the question of how do I find buying groups to join? But then it's like, okay, which one of these do I pick? There's quite a few on these lists and they all have their pros and cons. I mean, the main difference is really is that they're all gonna post very different deals and they're also gonna have very different payout speeds and they're also gonna vary in terms of their reliability. So some of the smaller ones, Maybe they pay out better, they pay out higher rates than some of the bigger ones, but also maybe they pay you slower than some of the bigger ones. It really just varies. And so, if you want more data points, definitely check out the Deal Alerts Discord because we have a dedicated buying groups channel with some resident experts in buying groups that actually I think have way more experience with buying groups than even I do. And so, if you're not sure about a particular buying group, definitely worth just dropping a message there first and just asking, you know, what are some of your guys' experiences with this group? Is it good? Is it bad? Should I be doing a different one? But the one I usually recommend, folks, particularly if you're new to buying groups, is Buy For Me Retail. So Buy For Me Retail, you can find them at buyformeretail.com. Sometimes it's just acronymed as BFMR. They're, I think, the biggest buying group. They advertise pretty heavily that they've paid out over $1 billion to people in their buying group. I mean, just think about that for a second. $1 billion has been paid to people like you and me for buying products on their behalf that they then ship out to other countries. Pretty crazy. And I don't think they're making this number up. I do think that this genuinely is how much volume has been pushed through BFMR, because it really shows in their whole operation as well as their website. So right off the bat, They have a really nice website with a really slick dashboard once you sign up. I mean, the UI itself is probably better than like Swagbucks and honestly, most like credit union bank interfaces. It's like actually a joy to use and everything is easy to find and it's all handled online. You find the deals online on their dashboard. You can favorite deals. You can add your tracking number so they know which shipments are going there and you can track your payments. It's all just very, very streamlined and the payouts are really quick. Like within usually a week of them getting the item, you have your payment. They also have multiple addresses in New Hampshire that you can ship to because again, New Hampshire has no sales tax. So you have a variety of options there. And just generally, it just feels very professional and reliable versus coordinating entirely inside like a Telegram chat, you know? And reliability really is one of the attributes that you really do want your buying group to have, because I think the biggest risk with buying groups is the potential for a buying group to go under? Because with some of these smaller buying groups, you'll find that they often pay better than BFMR. However, because they are smaller, they're more prone to potentially imploding. And sadly, this happened like very recently in the last like few weeks: is that one of the buying groups that has been recommended by a lot of people, including on I think that MEAB article as well as the Flyer Talk thread is PFS Buyer Club. I'll link to the article because I won't go into too much detail about it here. But basically, they (laughs) sent out a deal where they were going to buy Travis Scott tickets and everyone bought a ton of Travis Scott tickets. And it turns out that Travis Scott tickets did not in fact increase in volume. It didn't go full Taylor Swift Eras tour style and you know a $50 ticket became like a $500 ticket. In fact, it went the opposite direction and $50 tickets were selling for like $15. And this buying group had promised to pay everyone at least retail for their tickets. And now they don't literally don't have the funds to pay out everyone because they're sitting on thousands, I'm assuming, of these tickets that they can't even sell now for face value. They're selling for a significant loss. So yeah, it's getting real crazy at PFS because like checks are bouncing. The club is saying that they can't pay out everyone. Like no one really knows what's going to happen with these because some people bought thousands. I think one person bought like $14,000 worth of Travis Scott tickets and they haven't sold and they haven't been reimbursed. So that's sort of the kind of thing that can happen. One of the big risks is if your buying group implodes and you don't end up getting reimbursed your money. And so luckily with BFMR, they are so big. I mean, the fact that they've paid out a billion dollars leads me to believe that they have a lot of money in the bank. And generally they try to avoid these kind of situations because they're not dealing in things like concert tickets, which are very variable in pricing. If you've ever done any kind of reselling, you know that it's like, sometimes you win greatly. And sometimes it's just like, I need to offload these tickets for $10 because the show is in two hours. So reselling is a very temperamental kind of a business. And I'm really surprised that they decided to do a deal like this. I mean, I'm sure they're kicking themselves as well, but with BFMR, they pretty much only deal in electronics with a heavy focus on like Apple products. And, you know, if you know anything about Apple products is they're very, very stable in value. Like that iPad is not dropping to $15 anytime soon. So picking the biggest buying group can often be the best way to hedge against this like reliability thing. But there are other risks that are sort of inherent with any buying group, which is that when you ship things, things often can get damaged or lost in transit. So if you ship something to a buying group and your package never arrives, who's at fault there? Or if your package arrives, but the contents sometimes aren't counted properly or, you know, worst case scenario, I think this has happened before, like a buying group employee steals some of the items and then reports it as like, you didn't send it, or the item shows up damaged and it doesn't realize it's damaged until they've received it. What happens then? Like, who do you follow up with to resolve it? And who's responsible for the cost of that item? Do you need to follow-up with UPS or do you need to follow-up with Amazon or contact the buying group and hope they reimburse you? So that's some of the, I think, complexity. And it's sort of just a case-by-case basis, right? It like really just depends is the answer to that. And luckily for me, it hasn't happened yet. Like knock on wood, everything has arrived fine. There's been no counting issues, no damage issues. And generally my kind of impression on these kinds of issues is that they are pretty rare but they can and they do happen like even in our buying group discord there's been data points from folks where like something has showed up damaged or something has showed up missing or not arrived and then they had to follow up and the experience can sort of vary depending on which group it is and how their customer service is feeling that day the main takeaway from this bit is that just don't ship more things than you would be comfortable absorbing losses for. So like if you're shipping $20,000 of items that you've floated on a credit card and you don't have the ability to lose $20,000 because that would be devastating, definitely don't ship $20,000, you know, like ship maybe a thousand dollars of stuff. And like 99% of the time, I think you're not going to have issues, but in the like small off chance that it does happen and nobody wants to help you resolve it, like UPS doesn't provide any reimbursement. Amazon tells you to go away. The buying group doesn't respond and you lose that thousand dollars. It's not going to be like financially extremely devastating to you. And generally, I think that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb for any churning thing that you do. Don't go harder than what you're comfortable losing because crap happens. And uh, there's been, in this year alone, quite a few implosions that have cost people a lot of money. So be safe out there. Another risk or, I guess, potential issue that's definitely worth being aware of is that Weirdly, retailers don't love you sending items to buying groups. And I say weirdly, not as a joke, because you'd think they just want to maximize profit and someone buying their items at full retail, they wouldn't really care who's buying it. They're getting the same amount of profit share. But it turns out that retailers really don't like you sending to buying groups. I guess maybe the logic is that, if an item is popular and it goes out of stock because it's mostly resellers buying them, then there's less of that item for the actual customer. And so how retailers deal with this usually is that they end up canceling your order when they detect that it's being shipped to a buying group and they all have systems in place where they've basically tracked the addresses of every buying group. Or maybe it's an algorithm that detects when like a large quantity of a specific item is being shipped to a single address, that probably triggers something for someone in some department to look and be like, hey, is this being shipped to a buying group? And so depending on the retailer though, that algorithm is more or less strict. Like some actually just don't care like Amazon, whereas others are extremely proactive about canceling your order and potentially even blocking your account or even banning your account. Luckily, it's not that big of a deal if that happens to you, because unlike a credit card where if you get shut down, that's a pretty stressful event. Getting shut down or blocked or your order canceled at a retailer is like not that big of a deal. You know, like if Best Buy decides I can't place online orders at Best Buy anymore, I'll either make a new account or go in store, or more likely, I just really wouldn't shop at Best Buy anymore. So in that sense, not a huge risk, but it's worth being aware of. And depending on the retailer, there's also some additional nuances to keep in mind when you're ordering from them. For example, with Amazon, Amazon is probably going to be your best bet and the place you place the most orders because with Amazon, they, for the most part, don't really care that you're shipping to buying groups unless you're like pushing really large volumes and you trigger some of their other algorithmic detection things most people get their orders through on Amazon just fine having it shipped directly to a buying group. They're probably, I'd say, the most reliable retailer when it comes to buying groups, so thank you, Bezos. That said, there are a couple things to keep in mind with Amazon, main one being that usually their items have a quantity limit. So if you get a deal alert from a buying group being like, hey, we're going to purchase these iPads, usually they'll limit you to like three or four iPads. So Amazon won't let you add more than that amount into your cart and it's based on your account. So you can't just place multiple orders of three iPads. However, usually that quantity limit only applies to a specific type of the product. And what I mean by that is like the color or the style. So let's say the iPad scenario, you could order three of the silver iPads and three of the gray iPads. So you can only order three of each type. And that's great because then essentially means you can order six iPads, not just three iPads. And that's a pretty common treatment on Amazon where it's like the lightning cable AirPods Pro. You can do three of those plus three of the USB-C lightning cables. So by the time you combine all of these variations, it adds up quickly, you know, and that's how that last deal alert was an easy $3,000 worth of spend just from Apple products. And the nice thing too with these quantity limits is they usually reset. So it's not like a lifetime 3X iPad limit. It usually resets, I think somewhere around a week was what I remember reading in the Discord. So after a week, you can do another three iPads if the buying group is still paying out the price that you want for that deal. Another thing to definitely be aware of with Amazon is that you should never use your gift card balance in Amazon to buy items that are being shipped to a buying group. I'm not sure why, but they really don't like it. So if you have a balance of gift cards in your Amazon account, make sure you don't pay using that. Instead, add the credit card that you're trying to work on spend for instead. Because there have been reports of Amazon accounts being shut down. And when Amazon shuts down your account, you forfeit your gift card balance. So definitely bad if you had like, you know, a few thousand dollars loaded up in that gift card balance. And the common thread from reports from folks that were shut down was that they had ordered to a buying group using their gift card as payment. If you've already accidentally done this, I don't think they're going to just like necessarily shut you down because you did it once. It's probably a repeat thing, but probably better just to stay on the side of caution and you know don't use that balance and use your credit card instead. Finally, with Amazon, when it comes to scaling, it does help to have a more seasoned Amazon account if you wanted to tackle more of these purchases. You know, seasoned meaning that it's an account that you've used for just regular purchases outside of a buying group. Because again, these quantity limits are per account. But if you have multiple household accounts, then you'd be able to do the same order on each of those household accounts. And you know that's sort of a way to scale it. On our end, we tend to just take it pretty chill where when a decent deal comes around, I'll just purchase it on Amazon for myself and my P2. And we usually wait for like the good deals to come around, which happens around the holidays and every Prime Day. And so doing that kind of a velocity and volume is generally considered to be pretty safe. It's more when you start being like, hey, I'm going to try and push $100,000 through each month that you have to be a little more cautious and start employing some of the workarounds and stuff that we'll discuss in a little bit. Outside of Amazon, though, things do get a lot more difficult because Amazon is pretty laissez-faire with how you know how many people are shipping how many items to different buying groups, but other retailers definitely crack down on it a lot harder. So your Best Buys, your Targets, your Costcos, your Walmarts, they, for the most part, will just auto-cancel your order after you place it when their algorithm detects that you're shipping to a buying group. Of all the retailers, the one that's, I think, the worst, or I guess, depending on how you look at it, the best at canceling orders is Dell. So for the most part, I don't think anyone is able to successfully get their Dell orders shipped directly to buying groups because those addresses are all flagged without doing some manipulations. The thing with Dell too, is that once they detect you shipping a few times to the buying groups, not only do they cancel your order, they also sometimes flag your account as a reseller, which then causes problems later, even just for you trying to ship items to yourself. And it's a whole process to call into Dell to be unflagged as a reseller. So TLDR with Dell is just like, don't even bother really with Dell shipping to buying groups directly. Use one of the workarounds that we'll discuss next. So what are these workarounds? Like, how do you go about buying from some of these retailers that are hell-bent on canceling your orders? So there's a couple of them. The more obvious one, I think, is just that, well, ship it to your home first, because if you ship it to your home, that's not an issue. It just is you ordering items to your home, and then you ship it to the buying group. But this is really only viable if you live in like a no sales tax state. If you don't, then you're sort of just eating the sales tax. Or if you have a business, you can kind of go through that process of contacting your state to get a tax exempt certification for your business because you're like, I'm a reseller that only operates and sells outside of the state, blah, blah, blah. Or some retailers like even Dell, you can apply for a tax exemption as a business. And that can be worth the effort if you are doing a lot of volume through these buying groups because that can be one of the easiest ways to scale up your buying group activity is to ship it to your home first and avoid the whole mess of like orders getting canceled and accounts getting blocked. Some buying groups even make that process easier on you in that they will offer to send you prepaid shipping labels for some of their deals. So instead of you paying shipping to the buying group, they'll send you the shipping label. But they usually only do that if you are sending them a bunch of stuff, like they know that you're high volume. If you're shipping them literally one laptop, it's kind of not worth it for them to send you a shipping label for it. But if you're sending them five laptops, then it justifies the cost of the label. Not all buying groups will do this and not all buying groups will do this for all of their deals. So it does vary. But if you're interested in this and you want to find out more about like which buying groups offer prepaid labels, I think there is some discussion around this in the buying group channel on Discord. So check that out if that's something that you want to pursue. But otherwise, there is another workaround that isn't shipped to home, and that is modifying the address that you're shipping to. I accidentally discovered this back in episode 17 when I was churning iPhones, and one of the people that bought the iPhones that I was reselling had me ship to his P.O. box, I think, somewhere on the East Coast, and the address that he gave me to ship to was just like this insane, crazy butchered address. Like I could make out roughly what it was trying to say, but the formatting was off. He had like numbers substituted for letters, the order of street and the street name was like reversed. It was like definitely a mess, but it still arrived at that location. So despite the way he butchered it, he still got the item to arrive to where he was trying to ship to. And so really what I figured out from that was that, oh, that address that he's shipping to, it's been flagged. So now the way he gets his items shipped there is by making manipulations and modifications to the address to a point where the various algorithms and systems at various retailers no longer see it as the same address, yet USPS or whichever shipper are still able to decipher it and deliver it to that address. So as you can imagine, this method definitely requires some trial and error on what works to bypass these flags, but also is still ultimately deliverable, like it doesn't just get returned. And the interesting thing too is that some buying groups like BFMR now have some instructions on some of their addresses because they have multiple addresses to not modify that address at all. My guess is maybe at some point they ran into issues where people were butchering them so much that like someone complained or items weren't being shipped correctly. So you gotta be careful with that too. So it's one of those things where this is more uh, YMMV than usual, but if you can crack the code, that's great because you may be able to order from places like Dell and Best Buy and Target and Costco and Walmart, which really opens up your option. But of course, there's some risk that some of these items you send get lost or get returned. So I think uh, that's all I had for this buying group episode. Hopefully you found it helpful. Hopefully it gave you a bit more information and confidence to try it yourself or go at it a little bit harder. And uh, if you have questions you know, you need recommendations, or you're not sure about anything, definitely feel free to leave a comment on the website at thedailychurnpodcast.com or join Deal Alerts and pop into the buying group channel that we have there. Definitely a lot of questions get answered there related to buying groups all the time. Otherwise, if you enjoyed this episode, please do consider leaving a rating or a review on Apple or Spotify. It really does help other people find this show because the algorithm gods tend to recommend this show to other folks if you let it know that you enjoyed it. So really appreciate it if you do that. But I will catch you all next time for the October recap. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.